Welcome to another episode of Following the Way. I'm your host, Jason Dickey. On this episode, we consider the idea of endurance, specifically from the book of Hebrews. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Following the Way. As always, uh, please feel free to get in contact with the podcast. You can email at followingthewaypodcast at gmail.com or uh, tweet at the podcast at followingthewaypodcast. I appreciate you so much listening, and I really do look forward to hearing your comments, questions, concerns, uh, any input you have on the episode today on endurance or any suggestions you have that you may think would be helpful for future topics, um, and anything like that, uh, please feel free to get in contact. I look forward to hearing from you all. On this episode, as I said, I want to talk about endurance. And this is something that I've thought about quite a bit recently. Uh, I recently did a uh, milestone bike ride for myself. I'm not going to go into details because it's kind of irrelevant. But uh, suffice it to say that I had uh, a miserable time. I mean, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad that I did it. Uh, I do enjoy riding my bicycle, but uh, it was it was pretty tough. And you're exhausted at the end of it. You're exhausted during it. You don't know whether you're going to finish it or not. And to be honest, as I was uh, riding this course, this route uh, with a friend of mine, I got to the point several times where I was so exhausted, you have to try and distract yourself from what you're doing. You have to, I don't know, sing a song in your head or start thinking about something and one of the things I thought about, uh, to be honest, was uh, some of the passages uh, in the New Testament where Paul talks about running a race. And I've thought about that since and have been wanting to, to put this podcast together on that since then. But the difficulty is trying to make that connection clear for people between uh, some sort of physical test of endurance and our spiritual endurance as Christians, uh, trying to make those things connect uh, and make sense to people. It's difficult. Um, I think the analogy is obviously appropriate as it's inspired by God and, and written in the Bible, but I, I do think that it is sometimes easy for us to separate the two or not see the value in the uh, in the physical endurance being demonstrated um, and how that connects to the spiritual side. And so I wanted to start off this discussion by, you know, thinking about these things and considering the importance of knowing that you can push yourself to a point beyond what you thought, that you can endure something greater uh, and more difficult than you thought possible, that you have the ability to grind through uh, some sort of physical exertion. Um, in my case, uh, a bicycle ride, you know, climbing these hills at steep inclines, to going so slow that, that you're barely moving, but you're just grinding away, you know, one pedal stroke after another. Um, runners with the same sort of thing. Um, really any sort of physical exertion, um, rowers, whatever it is, that constant endurance sort of attitude of grinding through the next footstep, the next pedal stroke, the next uh, swing of the arm, whatever it is, and just pushing through and the value of doing those sorts of things. And I know that it meant a lot to me um, to do this. Uh, I mean, I, I played sports growing up, have done different things, but uh, this bike ride was something a little bit different. Um, it was a little bit harder. Um, it was a little bit, it required a little bit more discipline, a little bit more patience, a little bit more perseverance, a little bit more endurance to get through it than 
a lot of the sorts of physical activities I had done before. And so I was thinking about that quite a bit and the value of that. Um, I would encourage uh, any of you listening, if you haven't done something like that, to train for a 5K or, or, or a bicycle ride or, or, or something and, uh, and and build up to that to try and understand a little bit about what that physical endurance is all about, if you haven't already. Um, because I do think that there's a strong connection between the two. Um, you, you know, in Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll, we'll come back to this at the end, but in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul says in verse 1, What about us then? We have such a great cloud of witnesses all around us. What we must do is this. We must put aside each heavy weight and the sin which gets in the way so easily. You must run the race that lies in front of us, and we must run it patiently. We must look ahead to Jesus. He is the one who carved out the path for faith, and he's the one that brought it to completion. And that's a really powerful way that all that is worded, is it not? About putting things to the side. You know, focusing on the thing that lies before you, running patiently. Um, all those words, you know, about faith and patience and setting things aside and and uh, and making sure that you press on. I mean, that's the sort of language and the sort of idea that you have when you, you know, go hiking for five days in the mountains, when you go on a long bike ride, when you, you know, go for a run, um, that you have to set all those other encumbrances aside. If you sit there and start thinking about how much your feet hurt, how much your legs hurt, how tired you are, how much you want to sit down, you're not going to make it. But if you think about the next stroke or the next stroke or focus even further towards the end and just continue to grind it out, you can make it through. And I think that sometimes we're afraid to talk about how difficult it is to grind through life as Christians because we don't want to sound like we lack faith, that we lack faith in what God has promised us. And so if we admit that life is hard or that it's a struggle to remain faithful and patient in life, that that's a struggle, then we feel like we're, you know, not as strong a Christians as we should be. And so we're afraid to admit those things. But I think the language of Paul here in Hebrews chapter 12 and the book of Hebrews as a whole is that of endurance, of pointing out the struggle, the difficulty of trying to make it through life. And th- there's all sorts of ways in which we have to grind, is there not? I mean, we, we have to grind when temptation hits us. Um, when something, when we crave something or are tempted strongly to do something, um, those are long seconds, long moments of decision. Um, it's a grind sometimes when we have to go to work every day and work hard and we're disrespected by our coworkers. We're not treated fairly by the people around about us, but we have to support our families. Um, it's a grind for mothers to take care of their kids every day. And as rewarding as it can be to raise your children, there's so many little things that are repetitious throughout every single day that it's, it's a grind. It's hard. And, you know, whether you're in the workplace or whether you're at home or whether you're talking about specific sins that you struggle with, life is a grind. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is just to focus on what lies ahead to do what you're supposed to do. My dad told me and my siblings growing up that you have to do something you don't want to do every day. And that's how you build character. At least one thing every day you don't want to do, that's how you build character. And uh, I've thought about that a lot. The fact of the matter is you probably need to do dozens of things every day you don't want to do to truly build character because sometimes 
merely getting out of bed in the morning is something we don't want to do. So we've already checked that off the list before the days even got going. But I think we understand the importance of that, don't we? The idea of that, of grinding away, of running patiently, running with endurance, putting one foot in front of another. And it, it it's crystallized for me a little bit, at least right now. You know, having such a powerful example in my mind of the physical pain of a long bike ride and cold and rainy weather, it, it's, it's right at the forefront of my mind. And it, it's, it's something that helps me, I think, uh, when I am struggling or grinding through some of these other difficulties of life, that you know that you can push yourself farther than you thought you could. You can, you can go longer. You can go harder. You can go uh, and survive something greater than you thought you could. And knowing that physically, I think, does a, does a real encouraging thing for us um, spiritually and in the decisions that we make each and every day. Because the fact of the matter is, the decisions we make every day are physical choices about how hard we're going to work at our job or what we're going to do interacting with our kids or uh, how we're going to spend our free time. I mean, all those are physical decisions. But they have spiritual consequences. And so I think being able to have something so distinct in our minds of what we can do physically helps us with those decisions that have a lot stronger spiritual consequences as well. So I want to begin by encouraging uh, those of you listening to, uh, if you don't have something like that that you can look back on and pull from your memory, that maybe that's something worth considering. Um, You know, buffeting your body through some sort of test of physical will. as, as some sort of encouraging tool for you. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think you have to do that. But I think it could be helpful to maybe crystallize some of these ideas for you. As, as all of that as a way of introduction, I do really want to focus on this idea of endurance. And specifically, I want to look at it from the book of Hebrews. For those of you who may be uh, less familiar with the book, it is a book written to Jews who are thinking about leaving Christianity to go back to Judaism. And so it is fundamentally a book of endurance. It is a book talking about the need to remain steadfast and strong um, in the pursuit of Christian ideals and of glorifying God and following the, the way of Christ. And uh, in its discussion about those things, it, it lays out a number of arguments. And it's a powerful book, and I encourage you uh, to read through it. Um, it probably take you about 45 minutes or an hour to sit down and read through it yourself and I think that's a, a 45 minutes or an hour well well served. Um, I read through the book again in preparation for this, and uh, it's always, always a good a good time spent reading. And so I want us to look at this book of endurance and look at some of the arguments that are made by the Hebrew writer, some of the cases he makes for endurance. And although some of them are specific to the circumstance in which the book was written, I think some of them are more easily applied broadly. And so I want us to begin in in chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Here he writes and says, For it says this somewhere about the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the present passage, they will never enter my rest. And so here right off the bat, we kind of get this this distinction. He's talking about the rest and the rest before us and the promise of entering the rest and how God rested. But he's saying, you know, because of sin... You know, they will never enter my rest. But in verse 6, he goes on to say, Therefore, since some have failed to enter it, and those who received the good news earlier on didn't enter because of, of unbelief, he once again appoints a day, today, 
saying through David after such a long interval of time and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If Joshua had given them rest, you see, he wouldn't be speaking about another subsequent rest. Thus we conclude, there is still a future Sabbath rest for God's people. And anyone who enters that rest will take a rest from their works as God did from his. So he starts off and lays out this, this pretty strong case about pressing forward to a future rest. And of course, some of the arguments here in the passages quoted are things that are more specific to those thinking about going back to Judaism and the arguments they make for that. But the case still remains, does it not, that here we get verses talking about this future rest, a future Sabbath rest. And anyone who enters that rest will take a rest from their works as God did from his. And so, verse 11, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that nobody should trip and fall through the same pattern of unbelief. And that's interesting, and he's going to go on to make another point that we want to talk about here in a second. But I want to establish before we continue that here we have a very positive section about one of the reasons why we need to endure, why we need to have perseverance, is because of the rest that is coming. That we look forward to that day and to that time in which we shall rest from our work. That we shall rest from the things that make us weary. And if you're grinding through life or grinding through a job or grinding through your circumstances that you're in, whether it's sin or elsewise, the idea of a future rest is something that makes all the difference. If I can go back to, to my own personal experience once again, you know, during the first part of the ride, the thing that gets you going is making it to the halfway mark when we were going to stop for lunch. Like, that's what gets you going, is that restful time. If I can just make it to lunch, then I'll be able to finish. I just need to make it to lunch. And so you set your, your goal on that rest. And then after that, you're halfway through. So you just focus on finishing. And you can think about getting into dry, warm clothes, about... um being able to rest from the ride, that you can be done, that you can be finished, that you can recover from the things that you have endured. And that's what this word means. And that's the idea here, is it not? That we will be able to rest. And so this is a very positive and encouraging idea here in Hebrews 4 about pressing forward to a time of rest. And he finishes verse 11 about that nobody should trip and fall through the same pattern of unbelief. And he goes on to say God's word is alive, you see. It's powerful, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It can pierce right in between soul and spirit or joints and marrow. It can go straight to the point of what the human heart is thinking or intends to do. No creature remains hidden before God. All are naked, laid bare before the eyes of the one who must present an account. See, this is fascinating, right? Because this is a passage that sounds like a pretty stern warning about uh, judgment, about the Word of God being alive and about how it sees and it's powerful and it's sharp and it goes right between soul and spirit and nothing is hidden and everything is laid naked before God and before His Word. You know, that's a, that's a pretty powerful you know, sort of warning, isn't it? But it's kind of odd that it comes in this context of pursuing rest, of something very positive. And I, I think the idea here and the emphasis here is on the Word of God and the way that it convicts us. And the way that when you read God's Word, when you see the examples and the patterns of what you need to be, it challenges you. Because the Bible demands this pursuit of perfection. 
I think fully acknowledges that we are not going to be perfect in what we do, but it does point out that we can receive mercy to become perfect if we pursue it and if we accept it and have faith in what God has done. And so it's important to kind of combine these ideas, I think, here for the Hebrew writer about knowing that we fall short, knowing that the Word of God is something that convicts us and points out our shortcomings, but also indicating and showing that it's in that understanding that we can then pursue God who makes us perfect, who can make us right. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 14, Well then, since we have a great high priest who has gone right through the heavens, Jesus, God's Son, let us hold on firmly to our confession of faith. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then come boldly to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us at the moment when we need it. Do you notice the language there? Do you notice the words he uses? Hold on firmly to our confession of faith. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. I mean, there's, there's this idea, these strong words here about mercy, about forgiveness, about being forgiven by God through Jesus, who understands our weaknesses, but also how that enables us to have mercy. And all of this conversation about mercy and forgiveness and, and striving towards God is, is a reminder of what we've done wrong, but also the ability we have to be forgiven. So if we want to pursue this rest, if we want to be freed from the burden that we have created for ourselves, because that's the fundamental idea, is it not? That we have sinned, that we have created this kind of dark situation. And so if we want to be freed from that, if we want to be given rest from the burden of sin— then we have to acknowledge our sin. The word of God will convict us of that. But we also need to understand that we have a Savior who understands and will forgive us. And so then we can come boldly to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us at the moment when we need it. And notice how he combines those ideas there at the end as well about boldly coming forward. But this isn't arrogance. It's boldly coming forward to grace unmerited favor, something that we don't deserve. We boldly are able to come and receive mercy and grace and things that we don't deserve because of what's been promised to us. So what all this means is that as we go through life, as we struggle, as we grind, as we look at the difficult things that we face, we need to understand why life is difficult, why life is hard, and that's because of sin because of death, because of the consequences of our own actions. But we also need to understand that there's been an opportunity created for us to overcome those things, for us to be forgiven, for us to enter a rest even though we don't deserve it. And that's the point that's being made in here in Hebrews 4. Remain faithful. Hold fast to the faith that we have confessed. Remember that. And if you do, you can enter rest. You can be saved and freed from the burden and struggle of life. And I, th- I find that fascinating. I find it powerful the way that the Hebrew writer here in Hebrews 4 uses this positive idea of rest as a driving force for our endurance, for our faithfulness, for our steadfastness, and our pursuit of being freed from the burden of life.
But then he goes on and talks and makes another point, um, not just about pursuing rest, but he also talks about this warning, this warning of the danger if we leave. But he uses this warning of danger to once again push us even harder after the pursuit that we should have of rest. So if you turn over a couple chapters to Hebrews 6, starting in verse 4, he says, For once people have been enlightened when they've tasted the heavenly gift and have had a share in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the coming age, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance if they fall away, since they are crucifying God's Son all over again, on their own account and holding holding him up to contempt. And then he gives this analogy about rain falling and how if it produces the crop that it's supposed to, then it's a good thing and you share in God's blessing. But if it produces thorns and thistles, then you just have to burn the whole field and start over. And so he's saying what happens at the end is basically the same thing to people. God has watered. And so what is going to crop up? After, hurting the, after having heard God's word, after having understood the promises of God and what's been done for us, if you reject it, you're like the field that has to be burned up, essentially. And that's a pretty dark thing. And look at this language he uses, that you are crucifying God's Son all over again. I mean, that's a pretty big and powerful language about rejecting God after having known Him. And so you've got this judgment language, this very strong warning about rejecting God. And so that's pretty dark, but he doesn't just stop there. I mean, again, this book is pretty positively pushing forward And so even though it's important for us to understand this powerful judgment that's at stake if we reject God, note how it leads to a greater, to even greater need for a positive pursuit. In verse 9, he says, even though we speak in this way, my dear people, we are confident that there are better things to be said about you, things that point to salvation. You know, even though there's this great warning, that's not necessarily what we think is the case that we need to focus on. We need to pursue good things. And so he says, you know, God is not just after all, and he'd have to be if he forgot your work and the love you showed for his name and all the service you have rendered and are still rendering to his holy people. The fact of the matter is God recognizes the things that you've you've done. And he's not unjust about those things. He recognizes your character. And so, verse 11, I want to encourage each one of you to show the same energetic enthusiasm for the task of bringing your hope to its full, assured goal. You mustn't become lazy. There are people who are inheriting the promises through faith and patience, and you should copy them. He's saying, look, don't fall back. Don't go back to what you were. You've done a lot of great things, and there's a pretty big danger of going back, and the judgment and the consequences are pretty heavy if you go back now. But I'm not worried about that. Instead, I want you to bring your hope to its full, assured goal. Look at that word, goal. Again, we're talking about endurance, and we're talking about pressing forward, and that's what a goal is, right? Something ahead of us that we're reaching for, that we're striving for. So we have this goal that we're going after. And he says, don't become lazy. Don't, don't sacrifice it. Don't give up because it's hard. There are people who have inherited promises through faith and patience. And look at that, faith and patience. Those are two more endurance words, right? We need faith when we have doubt. That's the, that's the opposite of doubt, faith. And so 
when you have doubt, when you have struggles, when you begin to question things, you need to strengthen your faith. And you need to hold to that. And when life is hard and you're going through a tough patch, you know, whatever that may be, whatever that circumstance may be that's, that's hard for you, that's when you need patience. Patience knowing that it will pass. That something good can yet come. And that's again about the goal, about what we're pressing forward towards. And so he says, look, God knows that you've done good. God knows the positive things that you've done. Don't forsake those. Don't sacrifice all those things just because you want to go back. Press forward. Work hard. Be diligent. Be faithful. Be patient. It's pretty powerful stuff. Pretty powerful language there about faith and patience, about this positive pursuit we should have. And so even though there is a strong warning about going back, the point is that we need to keep up the good work. We need to keep up the positive things that we have done. And then finally, he makes one more point uh, that I want to bring uh, uh, to this discussion. And that's in Hebrews chapter 10. And this is about encouraging one another. We talked about how we need to enter this rest, about we need to look forward to this time of rest, how we need to make sure that this kind of understanding of the judgment that's behind us should drive us even harder towards the positivity of the rest and the goal that we have before us. But also, he talks about encouraging one another. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let us hold on tightly to our confession of hope without being diverted. The one who announced the message to us is trustworthy. Again, look at that language. Hold on tightly to our confession of hope without being diverted. Again, this is, this is language of perseverance and endurance. Holding tightly the things that we have hoped in. I mean, when things get hard, you just have to cling tighter to the positivity that you have. You have to cling even harder to the hope that you have of something better coming. And he says, and it's worth it because the one who promised it's trustworthy. God is trustworthy. But then he says, verse 24, let us as well stir up one another's minds to energetic effort in love and good works. We mustn't do what some people have gotten into the habit of doing, neglecting to meet together. Instead, we must encourage one another. And all the more as you can see the great day coming closer. The whole idea is encourage one another. Stir each other up to the positive things you need to be doing. That's so valuable and so important. If I hadn't gone on my bike ride with a friend of mine, I wouldn't have finished it. There's no way. I mean, when your legs are cramping and you can't pedal and you have to get up, get off, and walk up a massive hill, there's no way that you continue to ride after that unless you have somebody else who's ready to go, who's counting on you going with them. That's the importance of encouraging one another, of having people around about us, of stirring each other up to love and good works. And that's the point of this podcast, is it not? To, to offer some biblical ideas, some interesting things maybe from the Bible to encourage us as we are, you know, as you're driving to work or have downtime or wh- whenever you all are listening to this. And so because of that, you know, I'm trying to offer some sort of positivity about Christianity. And I have a number of people that do that for me as well who I talk to and we encourage one another and talk about things. And it's a necessary part of trying to remain faithful and steadfast to find that encouragement, to find that 
um, help from those around about us to stay faithful and remain faithful. And he goes on in chapter 11 to mention a lot of other people who have remained faithful. And one of the amazing things about Hebrews 11 are all the people he mentions that we don't necessarily think of as good people. Samson and Jephthah. You know, these different people who didn't always do the right thing. And in fact, did some pretty bad things, and yet they're reckoned here. Um, Barak, who was scared to go into battle without a woman. You know, Gideon, who at the end of his life, you know, did all sorts of terrible, idolatrous things. And Jephthah, and Samson, and even David, who did something way worse than we ever really want to think about, right? That he murdered somebody and stole their wife. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. And yet that's exactly what David did. And so all these men that are mentioned here as examples of faith are not mentioned because they were flawless. They're mentioned because, despite their flaws, they had faith and perseverance. And so the idea here is that we encourage one another, we find people around us, we meet with other people to drive each other onward towards the rest that we have before us, but also that we can look back and see examples of other people who have done the same thing, who have remained faithful, who have endured great things for the sake of Christ, who have, despite a hard life, have loved God and encouraged one another. I mean, that's the idea there, that you find those examples, that you find those positive things, and in the process, you can hopefully um, remain steadfast and faithful. And after going through all of those, those list of people, he says in verse chapter 12, verse 1, what about us then? We have such a great cloud of witnesses all around us. We have brethren. We have friends. We have family. We have a church family. We have examples from the past of people who are faithful to God. We have all these people who are watching, who are encouraging us to remain faithful. And so he says, what we must do is this. We have to put aside the heavy weight. We have to put aside the sin that so easily gets in our way. And we have to run the race that lies in front of us. And we must run it patiently. We must look ahead to Jesus. He is ultimately the one that carved the path for faith. And he's the one who brought it to completion. That's encouraging stuff right there. That's powerful stuff. To think about all the people cheering us onward. Encouraging us. Both from history and from uh, our lives around about us that want us to do well, that want us to remain faithful and steadfast. And so, and ultimately looking ahead to the one who finished the race first, who completed it flawlessly, Jesus, and looking to his example of what we need to do and how we need to do it and how we can remain faithful as well. Powerful stuff to think about, about endurance. Hopefully it's something that's energizing. Hopefully it's something that's encouraging as, as you think about these these three lessons from from the book of Hebrews. There's many more uh, lessons here. There's many more things we could talk about, but those were three that I, that stood out to me um, as I read through the book in preparation for this, and, and hopefully it's something that can drive you onward um, to uh, pursuing uh, Christ and your following of the way, uh, that you will remain faithful and steadfast as you walk the path uh, that God has laid before us. And as I said at the beginning, I, I hope that you'll get in contact with the podcast. Let me let me know uh, what things that you have found that are helpful to you um, in your endurance. Things that have helped encourage you to remain faithful and steadfast. Um, 
Let me know what your thoughts are on these three points from Hebrews. And uh, honestly, I'd encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews and to, to write in and let me know what other lessons you've seen from the book about endurance. And uh, if we get some good responses, we'll read those on the next podcast. So um, I look forward to hearing from you all. And hopefully this can be something that helps you uh, remain a little bit more steadfast in your following of the way. Thank you once again for listening to Following the Way. I really appreciate your time and consideration of the things we discussed today. And I hope that you will get in contact with the podcast with any follow-up ideas or concepts or questions you may have. You can email at followingthewaypodcast at gmail.com or contact the show through Twitter at followingway. Please feel free to get in contact, and I look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank you.